This morning's Old Testament lesson is from Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Our New Testament lesson is John 1, verses 29 to 34. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are nearing the end of our study of 1 John. And those of you who were here uh, on my first Sunday with you when we began this study may remember, you may not, but you may remember that we didn't start with chapter 1, verse 1 but we rather skipped to chapter five and looked at the first five verses because here we find John summarizing uh, the tests, the three tests that he gives us in this beautiful little letter. And they are, as he tells us in verse 13 of chapter five, given to us so that those who believed in the Son of God, in Jesus, may know that we have eternal life. So it's a way to take vital signs for those who say, you know, I, I, I believe that the story of scripture is true and I've, I've studied, I've prayed, I've been part of the people of God, but sometimes I wonder, am I missing something? Am I the real thing? And that's not an unhealthy, but a healthy thing. It's like somebody who says, you know, it's time to go get a checkup. I think I'm healthy, but... I need to go see my doctor and run the tests and see, am I well? And so John is giving us the three spiritual tests to take our spiritual vital signs. And he brings all three of those together in the first three verses of chapter five and shows how they flow logically one from the other. And then we're going to go on and read all the way down through verse 12 because having given us the three tests, all together now, he then talks about a threefold testimony that answers the question, why should I even believe any of this? I mean, okay, here are the the marks of someone who's saying, I believed, uh, am I the real thing? But really the larger question is, why believe any of it anyway? And John, now for the first time since the opening verses of this letter turns to that. 
And so that's the division. You've got the tests and the testimony. So bear that in mind as we read these first 12 verses of John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he's born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes it's hard to say thanks be to God. Uh, especially if you're pondering, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. But because this word is life, we should say a lusty thanks be to God whenever it's read to it. Just saying. <laughs> so these two, uh, these two threefold ideas in the verses that we've read, in the first five verses, the threefold test that we've been looking at, all throughout this study over the past couple of months. And then the threefold testimony. So let me say this before we quickly reiterate and look at the logical flow of the three tests that we've been studying. And this is crucial because all of us lapse by nature back into a sort of works righteousness by which we seek to work out our own salvation, not in fear and trembling, but try to somehow earn God's love. And we want always to keep that in a balance with the problem that a lot of Christian people have, which is just assuming God loves me and he's lucky to have me. Um, he sent his son Jesus. I like to sin. He likes to forgive. This is the greatest thing ever. Why would anybody pursue any other religious path? No, no, this is the one for me. You know, I can do what I want and live in confidence. And so the Bible is always pushing against both of those aberrant notions. 
So note that particularly if you're drawn to legalism, he does not say that those who are going to be born again do these three things and then being born again follows. This is crucial. And most English translations get it wrong. So I'm so glad that you use the English Standard Version. A lot of us for years used the Northern Invasion Version, the NIV. Uh, and that gets it wrong. It doesn't translate these opening verses correctly. So the ESV gets it literally right. Did you see again? He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Why is that so important? Because again, he's saying these are the signs of someone who is spiritually alive. These aren't things that you try to crank up to do in order that God will then forgive you and make you his child. He's saying these are vital signs. You don't stand over a corpse and say, you know, if you would just breathe and get your heart pumping and no, that's ridiculous. Blood pressure, pulse, and respiration are not the things we do to live. They are the signs that we are alive. And so these three things are the marks that someone's faith is not that kind of faith that John in his gospel at the end of chapter 2 talks about. People who believed in Jesus because they wanted what they could get from him, but didn't believe in him savingly. Now, these are the marks of one in whom God, by his spirit, is doing a work. He's making them new. He's made them new. And now he's beginning to grow them up. That's crucial to get. The other thing is this. Most Christians dispositionally, and I know because I know my own heart, are drawn usually to one and no more than one of these three signs. So there are those of us who our whole thing is, you know, I just, I just believe in Jesus. I just, I just love who he is. I love what he did for me and all of that. You know, I, I'm not so much into other people and loving my neighbor and I'm not, you know, I'm, uh, I, I certainly don't want to get, I'm afraid of getting caught by the law. So don't talk to me about God's commands. And so, you know, that's the sort of red-blooded evangelical who doesn't do anything with his or her faith. And then you've got the people who say, you know, I'm just, I'm not into all that Bible doctrine stuff. I mean, I can't understand it. That's for you Presbyterians, you, you know, you think you've got it all figured out. But for me, I just think God, God just loves me and he wants me to love other people. And that's all there is to it for me. And I'm just gonna do that, I'm sure that. And then there are the others who say, um, I just wanna keep his commandments. This is the way of life, so I'm gonna do it. And if that's not enough, then I don't know what to do. The mark is all three growing increasingly in our lives. And those of us who are dispositionally drawn to one or the other should probably take special note in our regular self-examination of how we're doing with the two that we're not particularly drawn to. So, what are they? I hope all of you who've been coming regularly have them down. You know, it's remarkable to me. 
Um, I, I'm 74 years old. I got out of the service when I was getting ready to turn 24. Halfway through my four years in the service, they switched from a service number to using our social security. So it's been, goodness, probably 1970 since I ever had to repeat back my service number. And I hadn't thought about it for probably 20, 30 years until the other day when I surprised myself by thinking, B148706. <laughs> you know? And then I got thinking about, I know my first telephone number when I was a little kid when they still used letters, Terrace 4, TE4, 3873. And my address, I mean, scary. Um, they had just invented the telephone children. It was, <laughs> we, we just used, we used strings and cans, but I remember, I remember the number. Now, what am I talking about? This is even more embarrassing. You can give me the opening three or four notes of almost any rock and roll song from the 1960s and 70s, and I, I've got the whole thing. All the words, I've got, I mean. Why don't we know the things that matter the way that we know things that don't? I'm talking to myself. You're, maybe, maybe it applies to you as well. Um, so get these down. These are important. God, in his grace, has told us these are the marks. So know them and test yourself regularly. First of all, he says, he who believes that Jesus is the Christ, and as we've seen over and over again, as he unpacks that in this letter, we see that it's, it, the Christ is the Greek word, Christos, for the, the word anointed. In the Old Testament Hebrew, it was uh, Mashiach, Messiah. So Messiah and Christ are the same word, just Hebrew and Greek, for the anointed one, the one whom God promised. The, who were the three that were anointed? The prophet and the priest and the king. And he is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And more than that, the one whom God promised who would come in his place and bear our sins and our sorrows, the suffering servant of God, the conquering Davidic, all of those things. He's everything that God declared him to be. And he says it starts there when God at last lets you not think about that but to begin to realize that this is the one great central fact of human history, the, the hinge on which history turns. Everything before it looking to see will God do what he's promised and everything since looking back and saying, history is new, life begins again. So that becomes the central organizing principle for the life of one who has been born again. It begins to shape everything. And he tells us the next sign is the first thing that should happen once we begin to grasp it. If God has loved somebody like me like that, if Christ, while I was still a rebel and a sinner, cursing his name, running away from him, doing everything that he taught me would bring me not life but death, not to a good end but to a bad. If while I was there, he so loved me. 
that he gave himself for me. If he lavished on me forgiveness, full and free, and more than forgiveness, has justified me so that I, I'm no longer merely a forgiven sinner. I am now someone whose sin has been put in God's sight as far away as the east is from the west, remembered no more. He looks at you and me if we're in Christ, and he sees us as as he sees his son, he sees us as we shall someday be when at last he makes all things new. It's beyond comprehension. If God so loved me like that, how dare I hold in my heart rancor and bitterness towards someone who's wronged me? Now, I'm not saying we just become doormats and say, hit me again. I'm a, I'm a Christian now, you can trample all over me. No, we don't, the Apostle Paul never acted like that. But it does mean that we refuse to hate. And hatred in the Bible is not an emotion. It is desiring judgment and condemnation on someone else. To hate someone is to want them to get what they deserve. And basically, how can we, who because of Christ are not going to get what we deserve, ever want anyone else to get what they deserve? One of the most beautiful pictures of this um, that I've heard, and it's, a, it's a, a great Tim Keller story. I don't know if Tim's written it, but I heard him tell it. And uh, I hope I haven't used it here already. If I have, you know, I'm old, just... Go with that smile at me, the way my grandkids do. But uh, Tim said that uh, there was a woman who began appearing in church and he saw her come in. She was sharp. People seemed to know who she was. She sat down front. She'd leave. So after one of the services, he just stepped down and introduced himself. And she introduced herself. And it turned out she was fairly high up in one of the big investment firms, as I recall, and uh, in New York. And so he said, what brought you here? And she said, you have a minute. Yeah. She said, I've been in this business for a good bit and was on the fast track with this company and I made an error in judgment. It wasn't malfeasance, it wasn't, it, it was simply I had to make a choice on a particular investment and I made a bad choice and cost the company a lot of money and I thought, I'm out of here, that's the end of my career. So I kept waiting, waiting, waiting to hear about it. And I never did. And she said, I finally went to a friend of mine and said, you know, I, I, I guess, I, I just can't believe it. I mean, I've never heard. She said, oh, didn't you know, your boss took the fall for it. And she said, what? Oh yeah, he told them that, you know, and he's a partner, so he just said, it's my, my mistake, everything. So she went in and said, I need to talk to you, to her boss. And she said, did, did you really do this? And he just was like, oh, it's, it's fine, really. I've got plenty of credibility. Yeah, you know, anybody could have made this mistake, but uh, I could absorb it, you couldn't. So it's fine, don't worry about it. I, I didn't want to lose you, you're great for the firm. So she closed his door, sat down and said, listen, I've had bosses who pinned the blame on me for their mistakes, and bosses who took credit 
for themselves for things I've done. But I've never had someone who was willing to take the hit. Why did you do this? And he said, because somebody took the hit for me. She said, where do you go to church? <laughs> he said, Redeemer. She said, that's why I'm here. Now, what I love about that story is he didn't do it and then call her in and say, I want to tell you what I did for you. And then I want to tell you about Jesus. This is why. She would have appreciated what he'd done, but she would have felt manipulated. He just did for her what any one of us would have wanted someone to do for us. Somebody took the hit for us. We dare not want other people to get theirs, even if they've hurt us. Again, I'm not saying there aren't times when people need to be stopped because of intentional injustice and cruelty and I'm not talking about just letting everything go. I'm talking about our hearts, I'm talking about our hearts. We just need to learn to love because in the Bible, this kind of love isn't a feeling, although it's wonderful when it's accompanied by feelings, but it means that you will the good of the other as other, not for anything you'll get out of it. You will desire for that person and pray for that person and work for that person to have the very best, God's best for them. That's the outflow of being loved like this and realizing it. And of course, what does that love look like? It's the commandments of God. Too often we grow up thinking of God's commands as God's gonna give us a bunch of rules to see if we mess up and they're gonna pop us if we do. Whereas the law of God is, think of it as saying, Lord, you've said I'm to love you and I'm to love others. What, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? Is it feelings? And God says, let me take you in this beautiful gallery and show you a series of pictures. The first picture is, you can't love me if you have other gods. I mean, don't have other gods before you. I mean, man, can you imagine saying to your wife, I want you to know how much I love you. I love you deeply and dearly. Uh, there are several other women I love as well, but you know, I love you. Um, no, we all know that that would not be wise. Um, so God says, if you love me, you love only me. I'm, I'm your God. And it doesn't mean we're also running off to a Hindu temple or this or that. It's what, what do you think you could not lose or your life would become insignificant? It's easy to say I love God until something that we really cherish and value is suddenly threatened. And we think if I lose this, I've lost everything. My life has no meaning. That's your God right there. Whatever you put the highest value in to give your life meaning and significance. And God keeps saying, just look to me. If you lose it all and have me, you have everything. If you don't have me and you have the world, you have nothing, nothing. So love him and just go through the law. I won't walk through it. You all can do it as easy. But, and then he comes to, you know, if you're gonna love your neighbor, well, 
Don't take his life, don't take his wife, don't take his stuff, don't take his reputation, and don't sit there in your, in, in your house looking across at his, wishing you had everything he has, because that's where it starts, in the heart. So you keep his commands. So that's it. That's the outflow. You love him. You believe in him. You love others. And you love them and love him by increasingly learning to delight in keeping his commandments because they're simply a picture of what it looks like to love. And then he ends that first section by saying, this is how you overcome the world. Now that harkens back to chapter two. Remember those often memorized verses? A lot of us learned them in Sunday school. In, in chapter two, he said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father's love is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world's passing away. Don't put your ultimate affection in what you cannot keep. Remember those beautiful words of the martyr, 1950s, Jim Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot's husband. Who, those of us old enough, I still remember those headlines in the paper of that big five missionaries murdered down in Ecuador. And Jim Elliot, before he went down there, when he was told, you're so smart, you're so bright, why would you do this? Why would you go down to these savage people who, you know, don't know any, why, why would you waste your life like that? And he responded by writing, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's what he's saying. This is how you overcome the world, by holding what you cannot lose, which is Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then very quickly, the testimony, the threefold testimony is the water and the blood and the spirit. Now, there are some people who because they don't hold my view, misunderstand what this means. Um, no. there, there are some who, who point in the water and the blood to what we sang about in that beautiful old hymn, Rock of Ages. The, let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. Beautiful words, beautiful and true. And so some have said that must be what the water and the blood refers to, the water and the blood that flow. But that's not. That's not what he's talking about here. This I'll try to show in a minute. Because it doesn't testify to what he's saying, the water and the blood testified to. The other view that uh, the church getting into the Middle Ages began to teach because everything rested on the sacraments was it must be talking about the water uh, of baptism and the communion uh, wine which the water and the blood represent. And again, that gets close to the meaning because it's depicting in our experience a recapitulation of Christ's experience. But the early church taught, and I think the, the best commentators have all agreed, that he's talking about Jesus' earthly life and ministry when the Father pointed to him and bore testimony to him. When did the Father first bear public testimony to him at his baptism. 
when he came up out of the water and the spirit descended on him and the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That began his public ministry. John was there because we see in the beginning of his gospel, John and the others asking John the Baptist. They've been disciples of John the Baptist. And they heard him point to Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so they'd left John and followed Jesus. And he'd been present from the beginning to the cross when they all in the end fled in fear. But the blood of the cross where he redeemed us, those were the bookends of Jesus' public ministry. And the Father testified to him again when he raised him up from the dead. And as John said in the opening verses, that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have gazed upon, and which our hands have touched concerning the word of life. In other words, John is saying, I am a witness to these things. I saw him from the start of his ministry. I was there with him for the three years of his public ministry. I heard his words of life. I saw him heal the sick. I saw him touch blind eyes. And, and I was one who ran from him until, until the father raised him up and he came to us and said, peace I give you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. He breathed his Holy Spirit on them and said, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you the water of Jesus' baptism, the blood of his cross, and the Spirit outpoured upon his church. And the key is this, he says, if you're the real thing, the Spirit is testifying to you in your heart. I don't know what your story is, but I grew up in a wonderful Christian family that not only taught these things, but lived them. I Just my heart breaks for so many of my men friends who didn't have a good relation with their dads and never heard their dad say, I love you. And so sometimes find it hard to believe that God would really love them and forgive them. And my goodness, in my family, if we just made it home at night with our clothes on, my father treated us as conquering heroes. I mean, we were, there, there was just love and, you know, an embrace. And it was, you know, the bad part is we all thought too highly of ourselves, but um, that's, that's another story, another, another sermon, another day. But the, the key is that in spite of all of that, and in spite of being taught the word and seeing it lived out, it was a dead letter to me. I couldn't wait to get out of the house and go and experience everything that I'd been taught was wickedness. And I ran my heedless ways. I would sometimes in guilt and shame go back and try to read the Bible. It was a dead letter to me. I knew it. I could quote it. My mother, I told you, would detonate those gospel bombs she'd put in me sometime when I was overseas in the service. And I'd be going somewhere I shouldn't go. And, you know, I'd be having a great time. And then I'd unbidden would come. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Oh, 
living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I think, Mother, please, not now. You know, I'm having a good time. I don't want to remember that. But in my first year of marriage, suddenly my heart was set on fire to know these things. And I opened the Bible and it spoke to me. And I went to worship and I, my eyes were open. It was like, where have I been? What's been, what happened? The Holy Spirit. If you have children who are not believers, don't pound them over the head trying to make them believe. They can't believe until God does his work. Pray for them. Love them. Show them the love with which you have been loved. Walk before them in a way that shows them the way of life. Love them and tell them this is the truth and I'm praying it in. I'm praying for you toward that day in confidence that at the right moment, God is going to make this come alive in your heart. All this dry wood that I've been stacking up inside you, God's spirit is going to light on fire. That's when it all becomes real, you see. When God saves us by grace. And these are the signs that follow. So let's pray for each other. Let's pray for our neighbors. Don't leave tracts under their, you know, pillows when they have you over. I always think, God, I'm sure tracks may be so passe now, but people used to do that. I mean, you know, every conversation would try to, you know, turn it to be about Jesus, even if the person was just talking about baseball or so, you know. You know, the old Sunday school joke where the, where the you know, teacher's trying to engage the kids and says, you know, what's small and furry and cute and, and eats nuts and climbs trees. And one of the little boys said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer must be Jesus. I mean, you know, <laughs> just, crazy about it. No, just be a friend to people, love them, listen to them, live before them in a way that shows them the love and mercy and grace of God. And pray, pray, pray for them. And then when the time is right, They'll come and say, I need to talk to you. I just, I needed to have somebody that I trusted that I could open my heart to. What can I do? The tests and the testimony. You got them? Remember them? B148706. (laughs) Overlearn these things. Because it's life. It is life. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Work it into our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?